as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Potomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. Morning news on 710 KURV. Top newsmakers. Here's Sergio Sanchez. Investigator Martin Sandoval from Brownsville PD, our guest right now, and a horrific event took place this weekend. Eight dead, run over, SUV, plowed all these people. Within the blink of an eye, all these folks were gone. They're in front of the Ozenum Center, the, the shelter in Brownsville. Martin, I appreciate your time today. Give me the address, and did this guy run a stop sign? I mean, what do you know about the the incident? Uh, what about what do you know about the driver and this this SUV? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me this morning. Yes, sir. And we at the Brownsville Department. Uh, this struck us really hard. Uh, we we send our condolences to all the family and hope for speedy recovery to all the people that were injured uh, in this tragic event that occurred. Uh, at about 8.30 uh, yesterday morning, we received a phone call at the 600 block of North Minnesota about an SUV that ran a red light and uh, ran over several individuals at a bus stop. Wow. Uh, when the officers got to the location, there was seven confirmed uh, people dead at the scene and multiple injuries that extended from uh, major injuries to minor injuries. So officers, EMS, and even some citizens were uh, first aid and put people in ambulances to take them to the local area hospitals. So they spread people throughout the hospitals in the RGV. Uh, the driver was detained at the time, and at the time we did have a, a charge on him, but he also needed medical attention simply because his vehicle rolled over. He is currently right now at our city jail, and he's going to wait uh, a magistration Um the charges are also listed there. We are going to have a press conference at 1030 this morning. It will be on Facebook uh, channel. So that way anyone that wants to listen to the charges and, and see the suspect uh, will have it right there. Uh, so far right now, that is what we know. We're still trying to locate several other injured parties. Uh, we just ask everybody to be a little patient with us and we will get all the information out and especially to the families and to the consulates that these uh, people pertain to. The individual was driving that SUV. There's video online. You know how it is these days that people post all sorts of video, like real quick. And my goodness, that vehicle was going super, super fast. Any intelligent guess as, as to the speed of that vehicle when it hit the curb and all those people that were there on the, on the sidewalk in, in front of the center? Are you willing to take a guess how fast it was going? Uh, honestly, on the guest, we, we don't know. We have our uh, accident reconstruction team working that uh, accident since yesterday. Uh, a lot of them worked all the way during the night, went home, got a couple hours of sleep, came back this morning. There's a lot of factors that have to be involved, a lot of math. Uh, they're still working on this uh, accident to actually get uh, speed, trajectory, and many different uh, aspects to the accident. And then we also have our detectives that I know some of them haven't even gone home yet. Uh, putting this this case together for for uh, magistration this morning yeah. and for the district attorney. Investigator Martin Sandoval, he's a public information officer for Brownsville PD. Our guest.
Now, Mr. Sandoval, Tim Sullivan here. What do we know about the suspect yet? Uh, have you been able to release an, a name or age? We, we know he's from Brownsville, correct? He is a 30-year-old Hispanic male, and all this other information that we have gathered will be released at our press conference at 1030 today. Okay. Um, will you, do you think you'll have the results of the blood tests that may or may not show mm. intoxication? Uh, we're going to hand deliver those, uh, those that the blood this morning. I'm not really sure uh, how long the lab will actually take on them. It could be days, weeks, sometimes even months. It just depends on how we can expedite those results. The suspect had been described uh, as uncooperative. Uh, is that still the case? Or, or, and what, what do they mean by that? What, can you detail uh, that? Uncooperative. Yeah, uncooperative just means that, that he was not talking to us. He was not giving us his name. Uh, he was not willing to take uh, mug shots or fingerprints. Hmm. Uh, so what happened is during the night, uh, someone from our uh, CIU unit managed to uh, get a report and got the information that we needed so that we, we can uh, put all the charges together and have a magistrate this morning. What will be the charges? Uh, as far as for right now, the, all of that will be released later on today at 1030. Does he have a criminal history, Martin? Yes, he does. He has an extensive criminal history. Okay. Uh, he is, you mentioned Brownsville, so he is from our side of the river. He's a local resident. Yes. Okay. The suspect you mentioned earlier, he is in jail, you mentioned, right? Because we saw this this picture of him with lots of body art uh, on him. Just, he seemed to be knocked out at a hospital being treated. But you're confirming he is out of jail? I mean, put it on, he is out of the hospital, right? And he is in jail. At your jail right now? Yeah the, the, yeah, the suspect we have in custody, he is out of the hospital. He's actually in our jail. He's been in our jail ever since approximately about 6 or 7 p.m. yesterday. Okay. How many people you still have real, really banged up and messed up at the hospital? Do you have any idea? Uh, we had, I know we originally said seven people dead and mostly about 10 injured. One person, uh, unfortunately passed away at the hospital, but we also managed to locate another injured party in a, in another hospital. So right now the count is actually, uh, eight people died from this accident and 10 have been injured. Had he made any threats in the past to the Alzheimer's center, the, the shelter, or made any threats to immigrants? Uh, as as far as I know, right now, no, he has not made any, but we do have uh, somebody working on that once we learned his name. So they're, they're checking social media profiles or any history that he has. Uh, we're, we're trying to do everything we can. We're trying to cross our T's, dot our I's, making sure we, we take care of this and, and bring justice to everyone that was involved. Who's helping you with this, either at state or other agencies, Martin? Uh, right now, we're, we're spearheading this this whole event, but we do have the help and the cooperation of, of the FBI, the Customs and Border Protection, Border Patrol, Cameron County Sheriff's Department, uh, Texas DPS. Uh, all these agencies came to assist us in anything that we need. And when he flew through that traffic light, right, it was a traffic light that he blew right through at, it seems like, top speed, my Goodness, he was going really, really fast. He wasn't being chased at the time, was he? No, he was not being chased. All right. This is a single vehicle accident. Uh, he was not being chased, and he was the only person in the vehicle. Martin, thank you for the update. I appreciate you making time to speak with News Radio this morning. That's Martin Sandoval. He's an investigator with Brownsville PD. He's public information officer. We'll get an update with, from him, hopefully on the drive home, maybe tomorrow as well. Thank you, Martin.
you're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710-KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710-KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. The end of the COVID-era Title 42 health policy that allowed Border Patrol to return some of the illegal immigrants back to country of origin or send them to Mexico. That's coming to an end on Thursday. There's a large population building south of the border, concerned by some local leaders that that population may go north, come to us all at perhaps the same time after Title 42. What are local leaders doing to prepare? Our Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez joins us live at the moment. Judge, thank you for your time again this morning. I know you have a meeting with CBP, so let's start uh, with that. Some of the questions in your mind for CBP as you have a chance to meet with them later today? Well, uh, we've already had discussions. I've had discussions with CBP and Border Patrol, uh, you know, to the extent that uh, we wanted to know what their plans are and how we how we could help. The information that, that we're getting is they're estimated that there's anywhere between seven to 10,000 uh, immigrants waiting waiting to cross on, on the Mexican side. Uh, they have a capacity to to process uh, 200, 200 per week, that we're doing 150 per week uh, based on the 16-hour work uh, workload. Now they're going to move to 24 hours. They're going to process the CBP one, which are the ones that are using the mobile apps uh, to come in. Most of them are Haitians, as we understand it. And believe it or not, they're not expecting that there'll be a huge rush to the to the to the port of entry. Uh, so the plan is to move them, uh, process them, move them out as, as fast as possible to other areas. As you know, we have two facilities, one in Donna, one in McAllen. Uh, they're pretty much at capacity already, so it's important that whatever immigrants do get processed, we move them, we move them out to other areas. The plan is, you know, hopefully not to have them loiter, you know, here in, in this area. Yeah. The comment from Summit. CBP that they're not expecting, necessarily expecting a rush of humanity is, as you mentioned, that app-based system where anybody who wishes to apply, they need to go through the app and, and set up an appointment. That is the reason. Is, is that Has that message been received on the other side of the river by all these folks, either from Haiti or from any other country that, that wish to come here? Have they been messaging this through NGOs or other organizations? Is, is that the hope? You know, you know, Sergio. Uh, the uh, the the answer to your question, I don't know. Hopefully, okay. I'll I'll get more information sure. this morning. Uh, but but obviously, the plan is to try to be more efficient in dealing with them, so they won't have to you know rush the the port of entry. I'll receive more information. Right now, there's three steps: is the processing, security, and transportation. Uh, obviously, we don't have to do 
us local people don't have to do anything with processing and security. Well, to security to some extent, all the police forces locally are, have already uh, been uh, contacted and, and, are, and, are, and are available in the event that we need any law enforcement intervention whatsoever. But I think the, the important thing is going to be, you know, transportation. If, if we have a large number of people, then we don't want them congregated all in one place. Uh, we want to make sure and move them. The next thing that, you know, we discussed, from my vantage point, I'm taking my medical director with me mm-hmm. because some of these people with measles, mumps, I mean, other other diseases that are coming in, and we want to make sure that, that uh, whoever's processing them, the feds, whoever's processing them, is identifying anybody that's sick and not, you know, putting them together with other people or with our population here. So that's going to be my main focus this morning is to make sure that whatever they're planning, this is this is on top of the list. Mark County Judge Richard Cortez joining us. Judge Tim Sullivan here. Do you plan then to do what they have done in Cameron and El Paso counties, and that is uh, de- declare a state of emergency? Do you feel that would be needed to help get resources to deal with the uh, much larger number of migrants coming when Title 42 is lifted? You know, absolutely, Tim. I mean, whenever we reach that point that we have an unmanageable or, or a situation where our local resources are being used to handle the situation, then, of course, I will do that. It would be, you know, silly for me for me not to do that. Uh, I've been asked, well, why, why haven't you done it? Well, t- to me, there, 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 there has to be some uh, s- some ethics behind what we do, and that is, let's base it based on facts. And right now, the facts don't justify me doing that because we don't have an, emer- an emergency at, at this time. We've been able to manage the situation. When when it turns the other way, then of course I would do that. You yesterday also you sent an open letter to Congress uh, urging them to do something that they just have not been able to do for. For decades, uh, and something that is needed, and that's agree on and, and pass comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, what in effect does does your letter say? Well, what it what it says is that we cannot solve uh, our border problems and immigration problems by an enforcement policy only. We've been trying to do that, you know, forever, and it hasn't worked. All Americans want legal immigration. There's no question about it. There's no debate over whether we want illegal or legal. We want legal. The problem that we're having is we have two types of immigrants coming, ones that are very bad, ugly people that we don't want, and some that we do want, that come here to fill jobs that our economy needs. Every economist and every report that I have read says America can can not even grow or sustain our economy without immigrants. America's aging. We have the baby boomers are aging. We have many people that are in our federal government already ready to retire. We are in need of workforce. So if we want legal legal people to come here, then we need to provide a, a faster, better, easier way for them to do that because what we have now isn't isn't working. So my letter to them is simply say, guys, come on. You know, uh, we have an obvious situation that you need to address. I'm all for you telling. We don't want the bad people to come. We have to stop you from coming. But those that we do want, let's identify them and give them an easier route to come so they can come here legally. And that's the letter. And I hope that all of you listening and, you know, will will think about what I said. And if you agree, you know, help us communicate that to our, 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 to our 
federal people, because until we do that, we're going to be putting a lot of money and still not accomplishing the goal, and that is to solve our border problem. All right, Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez joining us. Uh, we're talking about the end of Title 42, the expected, uh, some say, flood of more folks crossing the border, many illegally, and rushing to the U.S. at the end of Title 42. Well, l- last time, at the McAllen area, uh, Hidalgo County, we were the, the popular landing point. You may remember we were processing thousands of folks out of here as quickly as possible, and on San Luis area, the park out there, the city of McAllen, the county worked together, sent up some processing tent facility. Do you know if that facility is super busy right now? And do we have a plan B in case we need more space to either hold these folks for a while before they hopefully leave the area, take a bus, take a plane out of town? Well, the answer to your first part of your question is yes. Also, do is open. We're working with the city of McAllen. Uh, City of McAllen is basically taking the, the lead in, in handling that facility. We're simply, you know, providing it, you know, for them. In the event that we have a capacity issue, you know, the plan is to move them out of here as soon as possible. Uh, that's why we have uh, buses, drivers, uh, you know, ready to, to move them out as fast as we can so that we won't have the need to be able to to, to put them in, in, other, in other quarters. Good luck, Judge. Thank you again for all your time today. Our Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. This is News Talk 710-KURV, this radio station, exclusive play-by-play home for Houston Astros baseball. Thank you to our many supporters, including FNT Valley Motorsports and Riverside Development Services and also Pass Air. Voters in Hidalgo County, thumbs up. They said yes by a two-to-one margin, said yes to some some drainage projects, some funding for the area. Commissioner of Precinct 1, David Fuentes, Hidalgo County, joining us. He's an expert when it comes to all things water-related, especially the, the drainage-related issues. David, welcome back to KURV. So of the hundred and some odd million, almost $200 million that voters have said yes to as far as bonds, what will this pay for? Can you give us um, a look at the shopping list? Well, good morning, and thank you again for having me. Yes, sir. Uh, out of that $195 million, we have roughly $90 million that are going to go to regional projects. Uh, and when I say regional, these are large uh, projects that carry water from a bunch of smaller lines into larger lines that help get water out of our area and into the Laguna Madre. So these are de- what we typically call the main drain or large laterals. And those have a significant impact where it impacts uh, multi, multi-cities, multi and it's not just one particular area like a, a Wessico or a Mercedes. All those veins that you made reference to, 
uh, what do we fatten them? Do we widen them? Do we take the silt out? Uh, what happens to all those lines in order to improve with all this money? Well, what's different about this particular bond uh, projects or the identified bond projects as opposed to prior uh, 2018 bond election is that we have a lot of existing right-of-way. And in right-of-way, we're able to, we don't have to go out and buy land. We already own the land. So what we're, our plan is is to widen ditches uh, and create more capacity uh, through ditch widening. The issue with our area in general is that we have a very high water table, meaning that we can't go much deeper. Uh, we we typically find that we'll we'll hit water at a at very low uh, levels, mm. or I guess at higher levels in the sense that we'll yeah. find water at eight feet or ten feet. Wow! So that means that <laughs> necessitates that we widen. Yeah, My... that's what necessitates that we widen as opposed to uh, going deeper. Yeah, well, that puts the uh, the kibosh on making too many of those parks out there with retention pond holes, right? That that doesn't provide us much hope for many more of those projects, does it? Well, all of the all of these are designed in such a way that they can take advantage of what exists. Uh, in some places where the water is lower, you know, twenty feet or so, you can go you can go deeper on those detention facilities. The, the the true impact of those things is that they're trying to get water out of neighborhoods, off of streets, uh, and hold it temporarily. Uh, so it helps just uh, keep those waters moving off of, you know, where people live, and then letting it bleed into a system uh, carefully and scientifically so that we don't overwhelm the system, we don't flood our neighbors, we don't flood downstream. Uh, it's, it's designed very carefully to help control the water as it goes into our ditch system. Commissioner David Fuentes, Precinct 1, Hidalgo County. Voters, Hidalgo County, saying yes to almost $200 million in drainage projects. Commissioner Tim Sullivan here, this $195 million drainage bond measure that it comes only five years after what was a you know another major bond issue for drainage and, and flood control improvements that required a tax increase correct this one doesn't um, can you explain how the county is able to keep from raising taxes for for this bond issue so it, it's uh, there's a lot of facets in it and yes we were able to when we placed the 2018 bonds we were able to do it at a much lower interest rate than we had projected. So we didn't have to raise rates all the way up to the three cents that we had projected. So it gave us a little bit of uh, leverage in there. But uh, we also refinanced some of our older bonds and took advantage of the market lower interest rates. Uh, so in that refinancing allowed us to lower our uh, payments and or pay things off uh, faster when we kept things uh, more aggressive as far as our pay downs. Uh, so that in allowed us to you know, keep that capacity at tax rate at, at its current level, but it allowed us to debt service into the future. Uh, so we, we were pretty, pretty aggressive as far as making sure that our finances were in order. The other thing, guys, is that uh, along with this bond, just like we did in 2018, the state put out a flood infrastructure funding program. Mm. And in that funding program, it allowed for much lower interest rates uh, on qualifying projects, so we got a zero interest rate on a 20, I believe it was like a 22, $23 million project, as opposed to putting it out at a market rate at two or 3%. And then we got a 10 million grant off of that as well. So we were able to place $30 million bonds and basically grants, which is, you know, essentially state free money that we don't have to pay back and zero interest rates, which again, allow us to borrow at, at no cost. Uh, so this, 
particular bond election also had to do with strategically putting us in a situation where if that flood infrastructure funding through this state legislative session that's going on right now, mm-hmm. if that if that gets funded again, we can leverage some of those bond monies against zero interest loans and potential grants. So we wanted to be in a position the the drainage district can't borrow money without voter approval. And if we waited until November or in, into 2024, we wouldn't be at the first in line with these flood infrastructure funding projects that we think will be available or the funds that would be available to the state legislature that will typically wrap up sometime before June. Uh, so we wanted to be in a position that if those uh, potential monies came available, that we could leverage these bond dollars against zero interest loans and, and grant money. All right. Our Precinct 1 Commissioner, David Flint, is joining us. Dave, when do you think construction then can begin on some of these projects that are outlined in the um, in the $195 million measure? Great question. Uh, last time in 2018, we knew that it was a critical situation and we needed to get to work right away. We used some of our general fund monies, uh, you know, basically advanced off of those potential, the, the placement of those bonds in, in a future month. And we started to get to work. The, the neat thing about this particular bond is not necessarily that we were confident that it would pass, but we had already done a lot of preliminary work on identifying projects. We had done a lot of hydrological studies. We had done uh, site plan layouts. So we're, we're already more advanced than we were in the 2018. We have a lot of projects that really can get to get to construction, not construction, but design and construction more rapidly than we did in 2018. In 2018, we were responding uh, to a recovery. In 2023, we are not. So right now we have the ability to okay. get to work on projects as opposed to trying to fix things in the system that we identified as failures. Yeah. Dave, we got tropical season breathing down our neck already. Here comes June. Is there anything that we can prioritize with this funding approved that would help us play defense for tropical season, any flooding? One of the great things that's coming up real soon is that we have a 2015 and 2016 uh, mitigation award that was given to us by the general land office through through HUD, which is Housing and Urban Development. We were awarded almost $20 million to improve our main drain, our north main drain. So basically from the area, the delta area near Ed Couch and La Via, we're going to widen that system by almost doubling and tripling capacity in some areas uh, through that $20 million grant. We're going to do about seven miles of improvements that money is about to become available where we can go to construction here in the next, hopefully, 60 days. How long but, will that project know, take? I got, I got about a half minute uh, left. How, how long will that take, Dave, that, to finish? It, it really depends on what we encounter, but we expect for that project, those projects to be completed within 12 to 18 months. So that's okay. going to be something the, that's going to impact year. almost all of Hidalgo County. All right. Yes, uh, David, thank you. Our Commissioner, Precinct 1, David Fuentes. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.
You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Download the free app for 710KURV and all our sister stations at Radio United. Crisp, clear audio and access to previous programs from 710KURV only at Radio Parami. Download it. It's free. Let's go to our Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville. Director Ed Campinano, our monthly update on port activity and lots of news right now. Can we start with the federal energy regulatory folks, FERC? And I understand you had a write-up on approval towards the end of April, a reaffirmation of what they had already approved. What was all that about, Chief? Uh that was a, a case or a matter that was pending. Uh, it related to the uh, um, matter that was in uh, um, in the U.S. District Court of uh, of uh, Washington D.C. area, uh, where the uh, court uh, remanded uh, to the FERC uh, to take further evaluation of some of the um, uh, environmental impacts in the surrounding area and also uh, to uh, um, look uh, a little bit broader into the impact of the areas. Essentially, they, they did, um, um, you know, the, reviewed the, the issue again and, and reached the same conclusion. Uh, okay. they're, uh, they, I think you put it well, uh, reaffirmed their decision and, and essentially took care of that matter. So uh, what you have now is any federal um, uh, issues that were still pending related to the project have been removed. And so uh, this pretty much opens up the pathway to Excellent. move towards uh, commencement of the uh, uh, effort to uh, reach FID. So sure. so that was a significant action. FID, final investment was, uh, decision. Awaited. Yeah, final investment decision. Okay. So, yeah, because it, 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 it seems that every month we turn the corner and there's something new in the road. The road is clear now, right? Everything has been confirmed, reaffirmed. We're good to go. And next, hopefully sometime very, very soon, we'll hear about final investment decision. That is correct. Okay. Uh, where I think all, everyone is certainly uh, anticipating, you know, you know, further, uh, further news. And, and uh, you know, we remained uh, optimistic that we're going to see that uh, uh, again. You know, they've said they're going to do it in the second quarter of the year. So, uh, we're hopeful that that is, uh, uh, you know, the satisfactory conclusion that we're all waiting for will be will be announced. Sure, and and on the part of the investors, they already have contracts, right? They've already signed clients to purchase their LNG, that, right? That is correct. There's one thing that is different about this LNG versus all of the other LNGs that have been constructed in this country. You know, all of them kind of are the same in the respect to, you know, they call these. Um, these units trains because they kind of line them up like they would a train, if you will. Um, all of the other LNGs have essentially commenced their construction projects once they have enough capital to essentially begin with doing two trains. The difference between this project and the others is that t- uh, next decade is actually going to be beginning with a construction project that will be with three trains. Okay. And so, you know, that is significant in the sense that obviously it's a greater um, uh, capital investment. Uh, it, it also uh, provides them a greater ability to enter the market uh, and be able to assure 
um, you know, that's over 50% of their their project uh, anticipation. You know, they're permitted for 27 million tons uh, over the course of time. Uh, and this project in its initial investment with three trains is going to be somewhere in the area of 17 million plus tons of production. So, you know, that is a significant move, uh, I think, it, you know, given the market conditions. So, uh, you know, they'll, they'll obviously be um, uh, an active player in the market and will continue to be even as this project begins uh, to try once construction begins and, and potentially operation is they'll be out wanting to commission the fourth and the fifth train. So, okay. you know, this, this is why this project doesn't have, especially on the employment side, you know, it isn't a short order. It isn't a two, three year deal and it's over. You know, this yeah. thing has a, a potential to, to you know, be anywhere from seven to 10 years. Excellent. And that's what makes it so significant yeah. for the area. Excellent. And it's going to take some time to build that node get all that pipe and storage tanks and it, all it that. It will. Right? Yeah. yeah. So. It will. It will. Yeah. So if announcement is made in yeah. June, uh, you can expect to see, uh, obviously, Bechtel mobilize immediately, and uh, you'll start to see a lot of activity. Yeah. And, uh, Bechtel, uh, the construction a, people. A big boost to the region. Yeah. That is correct. And the first ship would sail from Brownsville full of LNG by when? In five years? Seven? When? How many years? Uh, I think you're looking at probably 2027. Okay. So you know that that is um, that is still yeah. This is uh, this is not a Takes you time. know it's not an overnight deal. So it hasn't been overnight to get here, and it's not going to be overnight yeah. uh, to essentially. But it's be almost able to. here, and the prospect of private sector billions upon billions of dollars of investment, construction first, and then of course all the business related to distribution of LNG. That's amazing. Uh, real-world investment uh, finally arriving. Uh, Ed Campinano, our director for the Rio Grande Valley Port of Brownsville, joining us, monthly conversation with that, with him. By the way, check out the newsletter at portofbrownsville.com. Forza Steel across the street from our shipbuilder there on Highway 48. The This Mexican company, tell me about the, the market that it serves, who the clients are for that company, and might it spur more support services, other companies to feed into it or maybe provide competition? Well, they're, they're, I guess you could describe them that, uh, you know, they're a, they're a manufacturing facility. Uh, what they will do is their, their facility will manufacture steel pipes and tubes, primarily servicing the automobile and the construction and the oil and gas industry. So, you know, they're based in Mexico. Um, this is, uh, their first construction in the United States, uh, you know, their market, they are um, obviously um, uh, in the Mexican market and do work in the U.S. market, but this puts them closer to their um, uh, um, their market here in the States and the ability to expand their market. So they are, um, they are, uh, are certainly going to be a welcome addition. It's a sizable construction. I mean, this is a 650,000 square foot facility. You know they'll be off. They'll be hiring 150 jobs, and you know the direct impact in the region is about 450. So, it is it is something that uh, you know we obviously look forward to. Um, I think you're right. Like is the case with the large projects. You know the first one brings the second one, and the second one brings the third one, and so we expect to see more of this and occurring in in the future. And um, you know this is a great. Uh, a place to be able to provide those kinds of companies 
um, the resources they need to really uh, reach markets that uh, um, uh, will expand their capabilities yeah. because we offer all of the, you know, the rail and the trucking and all of yeah. the other modes of transportation. Do we have the skill set? Does our population have the skill set necessary to, you know, for all these jobs from Forza Steel? Or do we need to train them at the local uh, college? Well, m- many of them will uh, obviously uh, come with skill sets. Uh, many of them will offer training. A lot of these companies obviously do things a certain way, and so they will continue to also uh, uh, uptrain those employees that they hire to uh, be able to accomplish the tasks that they need. But, you know, sort of, you know, we, we have a lot of people in the Valley who, you know, um, obviously we have a young population um, a lot of people looking for work, and uh, I think that, uh, you know, we've demonstrated that, you know, given the opportunity, we can certainly compete uh, not only in, 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 in the domestic uh, space but in the international space. And so, uh, again, I think this is a, a great opportunity, another opportunity uh, for for uh, long-term employment uh, for those individuals right. that, you know, have the gumption to, to, to seek these these opportunities and uh you know, we see that all the time here at the port. Just some of the information you'll find in the most recent newsletter from the Port of Brownsville. Again, check out the website, portofbrownsville.com. Chief, thank you much, and best of luck coming days, pinning down that final investment decision for LNG. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids are running errands. Your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. You're listening to the best of the Valley's morning news. Here's Sergio. Chris Cabrera with the Border Patrol Union here in South Texas, checking in with folks on the front lines, Border Patrol, folks on the clock, and what they saw overnight. Now that Title 42 is done. Chris, appreciate your time today. So what are you hearing from the reporting stations, RGV sector? Was there a, a rush last night, 11 p.m., 12 a.m.? Was there a big rush of people? Or, you know, what do you see? What, what's going on? Well, it wasn't a huge rush, but we did have, we did see a considerable spike. We saw a considerable bump in people coming across. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, as, you know, as feared that it would just be thousands upon thousands crossing at one time but i know there's people stacked up on the bridge right now um down here on the river there's uh there's encampments as far as you can see up river and down river last night there were campfires and music playing and, and people were, were filing through little by little so okay tell me about the encampments well where generally where are they in this market and you mentioned uh, an encampment here uh, the bridge as well is that until Lewis, the one you're referring to well the the one i'm referring to i'm in brownsville right now okay. and and right across from the the uh the texas campus the the college campus right across from there there's a a huge encampment probably stretches about maybe three four hundred yards uh, up river down river and there there's tents and little shelters and uh you know everything sure. yeah, everything you can imagine bonfires every few feet and uh they were having a good old time last night but um i you know 
they're starting to get moving today now. So, what's the best guesstimate, most educated guesstimate on how many folks are south of the river in Matamoros, south of Brownsville? Oh, in 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 Matamoros, there's there's tons. Um, there's tons of people. I was talking to one guy yesterday that crossed uh, a Colombian gentleman, and he said that there were uh, hundreds upon thousands of Venezuelans. I know in the McAllen area, there's thousands of uh, of Haitians uh, between um, the McAllen IBC area, the Hidalgo area, and Anzal Duas. There's thousands of Haitians in that area. So why have they chosen everywhere? Yeah, folks from Haiti. I've, we've been hearing that for weeks now that they've been stacking up south of the McAllen and Reynosa area. Why have the folks from Haiti clustered there? I have no idea, but they're there. Um, they're in big numbers. So, wow! Have they been crossing? Have they been crossing in in big numbers, or are they using this? You know that app that the government set up for them to put in an asylum claim and then get their hearing at the at the bridge or bridges in the area. How are they working this? Um, because they're still there. Well, I, I think yeah, I yeah. think a lot of them are using that app, and that app's kind of. Uh, you know, with the administration, they're telling us if, if people cross, they're amenable to Title Eight, and they're going to get sent back immediately. Yeah. Okay. Um, but if you read the fine print, if they've already uh, submitted something in that app, then that no longer applies. So they're they're playing one against the other. Also, with being as overcrowded as we are, they're um, they're allowed to. Uh, well, we're we're having to release people just so we can keep up with the flow. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, what they're saying is true, but you, they're, they're not telling you about the fine print. Yeah, Chris Gambetta with Border Patrol Union joining us. We're getting a status report on uh, what it's like right now for Border Patrol in, in reaction to the end of Title 42 and, and expect a flood of more humanity crossing the border. It, it's been heavy. I, I mean, last 24 hours across the entire southwest border, what was it, like 10,000 people that Border Patrol encountered? You guys were able to hold for a while? Yeah, a little over 10,000. And, you know, one of the numbers that, that's – that's uh, most surprising to me is between um, April 1st and now, Brown, just the Brownsville area has seen well over 35,000 um, just in a little over a month, just in, just in Brownsville. How many illegal immigrants, um, how many are you holding and where are you holding them nationwide at the moment, Chris? Oh, there's processing centers popping up everywhere and then NGOs are taking some after they leave us. Um, it, it's I don't I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to tell you. What I ask because a few I days mean, back there was another report that said at, at one time you had like twenty thousand people that were in intake yeah. centers and, and processing. I think there was yeah twenty five thousand in custody. I don't know what that number is today. I'm sure it, it's probably higher than that. I don't see how it could get lower. Chris Cabrera with the Border Patrol Union. Okay, Mexico, Central America, all this. They keep saying uh, these reports I, I see in Spanish media. There's more people on the way. Uh, what does yeah. Intel tell you? <laughs> how many? Uh, are headed this way. Where are they coming from? What, what What's the latest reports that you've gleaned? Well, you know, I've I've heard uh, that the president of Guatemala said something around eighty thousand are headed this way from various uh, uh, Central and South American countries. Um, I, I know in the McAllen area we have between thirty and forty uh, south of us. Brownsville the same way. Um, I, I think every you know uh, Juarez is the same thing. Del Rio Eagle Pass. I, I think everywhere you go, there's there's big numbers waiting to cross and. If you think about it, you know, with all the resources we have, with the state of Texas and federal government combined, we can't get a hold, we can't get a handle on people turning themselves in. So what does that tell you as far as people trying to escape? We haven't got a chance. 
we have folks at Brownsville at, the, at City Hall and, uh, and at County. Um, they're, they're telling people to avoid downtown, to avoid the bus station. We see the video. We see the picture. We have people posting all over the place. Uh, Lord knows how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are stacked downtown uh, Brownsville right now. What can you tell me about the um, other processing centers like Ansaldua? So you got downtown McAllen. you got south of, of Donna. Are they all at capacity right now? Yeah, they're, they're starting to fill up. And, and the one at Ansaldua, that's just a, a temporary pass-through facilities. But that one's starting to fill up. Um, you know, uh, Donna's always full. Uh, that one's always over capacity. Ursula, same way. Uh, our stations are filling up. Everything's filling up. Um, we're we're just uh, we 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 can't bail the water out. It's coming in the boat too quickly. So we're we're slowly sinking, but we're gonna do our best. As far as border patrol uh, and I would imagine DPS the same way. We're gonna do our best, the best of what we have. We just wish that we had more to work with. Chris Cabrera, Border Patrol Union, joining me right now. We're assessing for here from South Texas. What's taking place as far as all the the intake, all these folks, thousands crossing illegally on a daily basis. Title 42 has come to an end. So explain to listeners, border policy, enforcement policy, how is it different right now compared to 24 hours ago? What tools are at your disposal at this Title 8 thing versus Title 42? What's the difference? Is anybody going to be sent back or are you under orders to just release everyone you encounter what's what's different right now than you it was know before? title 42 was pandemic era where you in a sense you waited in mexico until your case got adjudicated um now with uh, title eight title eight something we've always had and it's just you know the regular rules how, how it's always been um but title 42 kind of sh- uh made it a little more stringent a little more strict uh there were certain things we could and couldn't do but it, it made our job a little bit easier so, um, yeah, with, with, with Title Eight, it's nothing new to us, but unfortunately with the overflow, with the amount of people we have coming, we don't have the facilities. So unfortunately, a lot of people are going to get let go. Obviously, uh, we're not letting unaccompanied children but go DHS anywhere. But DHS Secretary Mallorca said that these people would be sent back, that there would be consequences if they cross illegally and all that, all that jazz. Well, again, he's not, he's not telling you about the fine print. He, he's not telling you about the fine print that if they've already signed up on the app, that doesn't apply or if we're at capacity that doesn't apply so there's okay. a lot of things that that he said that are factually true but he didn't tell you like what well, was it uh was it mr harvey and i the, the rest of the story he didn't tell you the rest of it he just told you <laughs> the the highlights the, the cliff notes version that he wanted you to hear but he okay. didn't give you uh the rest of it well, let me see if i understand okay let me let me throw it back at you so this app thing folks that wish to hop aboard and you know get on the radar as far as an asylum request they do it through the app if they cross they swim cross illegally into the u.s they're processed by border patrol chances are they will be released into the country because hey you guys already did the app okay so go into the country wait in line and we'll call you in the future to go to court right is that the way it's yeah. working out okay yeah yeah <laughs> how many people do we have in yeah, immigration courts right now like two million <laughs> How many yeah, people, probably yeah. more. Yeah, um, yeah it's it just, I mean, they need to come up with, with a, a feasible solution. They need to put everything on the table. I mean, this needs to get out of the political spectrum. Uh, we just need to do what's right, not yes, not just for our country, yes, but for the people that are trying to cross. There's a lot of innocent women and children that are being exploited in this, and we just need to do the right thing for, for the right reasons, not for political reasons. Yeah, those exploiting them, the cartels making billions upon billions of dollars in 
and uh, fleecing these people. All right. Thank you, Chris. Be safe out there. Uh, you and all the gang at Border Patrol. Chris Cabrera with the Border Patrol Union. This is the only radio station in the Rio Grande Valley for the news and information you need to know. We are News Talk 710KURV. Discover our Facebook page, 710KURV, also Twitter. I'm Sergio Sanchez, and my email is sergio at kurv.com. Thank you for listening to News Talk 710KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.